0: Hello, hello. Yo, Jeremy. A.K.A. the Frisky Bunny, evidently. Oh, man, I, how do I yeah. change my name?
1: <laughs> how did they name you Frisky Bunny? <laughs> uh, that's the name of my phone. Oh, that's great. Okay. My my phone is called George Coker's iPhone, even though... Uh, yeah, I think it's just like from a, my old iCloud account.
0: Yeah, I changed mine because... Uh, audrey had a really cool name for her phone i'm like i'm gonna make a cool name for my phone and frisky bunny seemed appropriate so i did that and it's great because now whenever i go to the apple store or whatever they you know are embarrassed to say that name out
1: loud so it's, it's super oh cute. that's good that's great yeah i wish They've my phone had a name like that they just yeah <laughs> <laughs> my phone used to be batman and my car or my laptop used to be the batmobile and so people would see like batman of the batmobile like arrive on like their wi-fi sometimes when i would like open my laptop in college that's a great name you should bring it back i'm thinking about i gotta find like a more for the people hero though i realized that batman is effectively like just like he's a billionaire who beats up poor people who live in a crime infested destroys them and i don't know if he's like if there's, like, a clinic for the people, he's, like, if there's physical therapy for these guys, but he'll, like, take the Joker in, like, real nice and gentle, like, so that he can get the treatment he needs at the Arkham Asylum. But good lord, they say Batman doesn't kill people, but he ruins some lives. Oh, yeah, toy. Totally. He cripples people. <laughs> uh,
0: but he, he's crippled himself, you know, emotionally at least. <laughs> Compassion for the Batman. Got to have some compassion. There's a guy who does a really great breakdown of uh, Batman's like psychology.
1: I mean, a lot of people have done it, and it's uh, yeah, Batman's insane. That's dope. Um, yeah. So I guess we should we should do a little introduction here. Um, hi, I am uh, George Ekola de Adetokunbo Coker, and this is my podcast. I have with me here Jeremy James Nolan. He is a friend from grade school who, uh, I have basically kept in touch with my whole life because he's one of the coolest people I've ever met. Um, So said eight-year-old me. And so says 29-year-old me. Um, Jeremy is probably one of the most thoughtful individuals I know. He um, is also probably one of the best uh, read people about communication uh, literature that I know, like he loves um, studying about personalities, um, uh, psychology, uh, interpersonal relationships. And so like whenever I have a question about, uh, or just, you know, like I'm using about human relationships, the containers that we, you know, we keep our our connections to friends and family. And I, I go to him to ta- chat about it. Uh, Jeremy, if you'd like to introduce yourself though, feel free to say whatever you want to say. Uh, I just want to say that as the the nicest introduction I've ever had in my life so I really appreciate that
0: um I definitely this the feeling is mutual everything that you said I think it could be also said right back to you you're definitely very well read and well versed in all all the ama- especially on the spiritual side and uh the ancient texts particular uh, uh, pertaining to like uh, consciousness and individuality and you know the experience of being uh, a human on this planet, and I really, 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 sincerely appreciate your your perspective and your insights into this life that we are experiencing. So, thank you very much for having me on your podcast and for all the love and radiance that you share, not only with me but for all the people that listen to you and uh, follow you on Instagram and all the spaces.
1: All right, so Jeremy is now a permanent guest on my podcast. <laughs> Just... <laughs> I've decided <Yes>. right now. <laughs> I did it. Um, uh, If he wants to be. Um, I Basically, uh, Jeremy and I were having a chat earlier this morning, and uh, I think you asked me how my weekend was going, and I somehow got into the subject of reparenting myself and then deciding that I was going to be my own best friend and how these were actually um, ways of engaging in self-healing once I realized that there were... um, Basically, I I had realized that there were things I didn't say this to Jeremy at the time, but I had realized that there were things about my life that were dysfunctional because I had accepted certain things about myself, uh, my self image, based on how I grew up and how people responded. I don't know necessarily, what um, anybody told me about myself, like it wasn't like anybody was trying to tell me like you're, you know. Um, you're an unlucky individual and, uh, people don't believe in you and nobody will see, uh, see you for your light or whatever it was that, you know, I was like these limiting beliefs that I had. But what it was, was that I had subconsciously internalized through the failures of my life, uh, or what I perceived to be the failures of my life. Um, and through some experiences of, you know, disconnect and neglect perhaps, that these things were true of me, that I was deficient in certain ways. And so my remedy for that was to um, figure out uh, what self-love was. Uh, and Jeremy thought that was important. So we decided to have this conversation here. Jeremy, anything you want to you say? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I think that our conversation started
0: when you sent me a post on Instagram about uh, my, my understanding of this uh, idea of rightness and our nervous system mm. and that led to you know a cascade of thoughts and ideas and concepts and then we got to kind of our personal experience i'm like wow dude people need to know about this because the way you said it was so eloquent and so i think um what experience that we all as individuals have uh and i think it's very valuable for people to be aware of and the way that you presented the information was so awesome it was so easy to understand and i feel like uh, people would really benefit from hearing it so I'm really grateful that you agreed to doing this podcast
1: so that we could share this information. Oh for sure okay thank you um, in which case I'm going to say uh, that I suppose the way that I said it I don't know if I'm going to be able to say it again um, maybe it'll be better this time maybe it'll be worse who knows who cares um, we were talking about sort of the sense that people who are correct for you right like people who are good for your your well-being feel different to you and um, after that cascade of you know like thoughts on what it really means to be us and our experiences of self I said something to the effect of at some point I decided um, to reparent myself because if I had had if my parents had had the ability to be the best parents for me that they could be right, um, to my understanding, uh, especially if they knew my understanding to be the best thing for me possible, then they would have done something entirely different than what they did, which was, you know, based on their understanding for of what it would be to be the best parent to me possible um, from their observations, right? And so I was like, okay, well, I know that I needed to be supported um, in seeking out things that I could be passionate about. I know that I need to feel unconditionally loved. I do not like the sense that there are ulterior motives. I don't like um, doing things for a specific outcome. I want to be able to do things simply because I want the experience of doing them. And so I had to recondition myself to allow myself to enjoy my own way of being. I had to be able to show up for myself and say, hey, you know what, that was a good effort Um, do you want to try this again, or do you want to reevaluate based on the obstacles that you're encountering, whether or not the frustration is worth having in your life to keep this thing in your life, right? My parents were the kind of people who would go, this kind of thing will be valuable for you when you are out in society one day. So I'm going to force you to learn it. Um, I'm the kind of person though, who would go, this kind of thing has alternate solutions Do you want to be the one who handles it for yourself personally, or are you willing to let somebody else show up in your life and do that for you? Right? Like those are like some slight differences that I have between me and my parents. Um, I recognize, for example, that like, I have executive dysfunction. There are some things that are very simple for most people to do that my brain will hit the analysis paralysis situation and I won't make any progress on. And instead of berating myself for indecision or inaction, I have to recognize when I have the impulse to to do it, right? I like find my pounce, right? And then I do it. Or I go, okay, I've spent, how much time should a person spend on this uh, based on what I've seen other people spend on this? Okay, I'm going to ask somebody who knows how to to make progress. I was kind of conditioned as a child not to ask for help because it wasn't always responded to well. It made me seem like a burden or deficient in my own mind. So I felt uncomfortable doing it. Um, Then, there was uh, the decision I made to be my own best friend. And I realized at some point that uh, there were ways that I was behaving in response to myself that (laughs) I would never have uh, behaved in response to people that I love and care about. And I was like, why don't I treat myself like a person that I love and care about? Um, I would never Mm -hmm. bully my best friend. So why would I bully myself? I would stand up to a bully for my best friend. So why don't I stand up to bullies for myself? And then I took it even further and I was like, wait, hold on. Sometimes I'm the bully to myself. I need to stand up to myself, but I also need to stand up for myself. How do I engage in, in resolving this like experience of berating myself without, you know, more negative self-talk, without more beating myself down? How do I call myself into a conversation? How do I forgive myself for my failures? How do I support myself in being better? I guess I educate myself. So I just started... Uh, engaging with you know like the old sacred texts and like the the self help books and uh, and friends and whatnot and uh, I went through and figured out how do I be my own best friend and that's really where I arrived and I think that's what Jeremy was really pointing to in that conversation when he was like yo that's really important it was it was the part where I was like okay I understand what people say a person needs but what do I know I want and need how do I put that in my life and I know that we have normalized You know, self-deprecation and being self-effacing, and a resistance to um, pursuing the kind of love love that we want because apparently, if we're not getting it, we've been all sort of conditioned to just assume that we're not getting it because we don't deserve it. (laughs) But how do I Hmm. how do I teach myself to allow uh, myself to pursue the kind of life that I want to live, the kind of love that I want to have? How do I let myself enjoy um, the being that my body is asking me to be that. My mind is asking me to be beautiful. Yeah,
0: I think we need to uh, clip that last five minutes of that conversation because that I think really um, was the the like, kind of the whole crux of the conversation. And I really appreciate that metaphor, the bully, like we're our own like worst enemy. People say that, or, like you're, we're we bullying ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how do you be your own best friend like that's such a like even just that simple thing like that question how do you be your own best friend is is powerful and when you have the questions you can find the answers um so i really appreciate you for saying that that's exactly what i want people to get and to understand from that conversation that you said i think that'll be incredibly helpful for so many people
1: when you say i uh oh i just forgot what you said can you oh can you say that again really quick
0: uh clip the last like the last five minutes of what you had said um where you created um where you made a, a, an analogy or a metaphor as to being your know, your own worst enemy or a bully mm-hmm. you know you're a bully how do you become your That's own best friend beautiful. and having that question is imp- is question. powerful. and then the last questions you said as well like how do i do this like in the particular way that you need because nobody else will understand your your needs like you do and a lot of times um what happens especially if we if never get this knowledge or, or wisdom or nobody uh to emulate or role model our behavior off of we don't know how to actually even know what our own needs are we don't even know what needs are a lot of people are unaware and when we are unaware of our needs we're disassociated from ourselves, and that leads to anger depression frustration all these things um and so your best friends like you can imagine a best friend or somebody who you who we felt really cared about us like how they nurtured us in a way that we didn't even realize we needed to be nurtured i remember you bringing up in a conversation yo like somebody loving you in a way that you didn't even know you needed to be loved
1: yo okay so we we kind of had this unspoken and by unspoken i mean very spoken rule that we weren't going to name people um in this podcast but tina shout out to tina (laughs) <laughs> because you definitely show up uh, for me in a way where I am loved by you in ways I don't even realize I should ask for or I, I could ask for, I suppose. Um, and that definitely um, has sort of opened my mind to, to ways of being in. I can, I, one, I don't have to take things that I don't want. And that can be a good thing or a bad thing. I could be like, look, I, I appreciate the help you're offering me, but actually, I really want to struggle through this on my own. Or, you know, like, I mm. I, you, I don't have to let you be mean to me. Or, you know, if you're going to ignore me, I don't have to hold space for your, your ignoring me. I can go find somebody who's not going to ignore me because that's what I need right now. Or that's what I want right now. Um, but you said not, when people have, people having the right questions, and that's just so important to me, I think. I think what I realized when I first started on my um. You know, like, I, I just started meditating when I was eight years old, but it didn't have a purpose. Actually, that's a lie. It had a purpose and it was to give me superpowers. I was basically trying to become Professor X and unlock my telepathy. Not going to lie. Um, and it made me more ob- observant, but I'm not, I like to say I'm psychic, but not on purpose and I can't turn it off. Psychic, but never on purpose and I can't turn it off. But what... Uh, what actually I mean by that is I very much pick up on the emotions of the people around me uh, to the point where um, I sometimes try to be careful about inadvertently suggesting to them how they might be feeling um, because I've noticed that uh, people in certain states can be very suggestible as Jeremy pointed out in our earlier conversation. And it's like sort of important for me not to accidentally impact their consciousness field in a way where I'm like, pushing them towards the experience I believe they should be having versus like opening up space to, to allow them to experience what they are experiencing and to let them know that I'm there for them while they're doing that. Um, But what was, what was important, I think, was that, that asking the right questions. I think so many people are sent off looking for answers, um, but I think often they're looking for answers when they should be looking for the correct questions. Like they don't even they don't even realize what kinds of questions they could be asking that could be nourishing them in ways that they like, they aren't even realizing they could be nourished. And I think that that's, that's maybe the most important thing for me. Is like, when you know what your questions are, when you know what the right questions for you are, like the world just unlocks in a, in a way that it it probably never has for you before.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly.
1: You're so right. Man.
0: And that kind of brings, I mean, uh, that discussion we had, about those people having a conversation and you hearing them in a way that they've never experienced before, you know, you being able to ask that question, those people, I imagine you probably asked them some deep questions. And so they're able to experience themselves in a way that they never experienced before, which expanded their understanding of themselves and therefore, hopefully, others. Because um, the better we understand ourselves, the better we could, in my opinion, we could better understand mm. them, one another.
1: Um... Jeremy's referring to a part of a conversation where I was talking about how sometimes when I'm listening to people speak, I'll hear the subject of what they're trying to communicate. Um, And a lot of the time, I'm very good at picking up on the, this person is telling you, I love you, but they're saying I love you in none of those words. They're they're not using I, I love and you. Mm -hmm. They're using, you know, like, they're basically (laughs) expressing like, this thing you do is an obstacle to me loving you and it's like you're hearing you're a bad person and they're saying I'm trying to love you is what they're actually saying they're literally saying I'm trying to love you and I don't know how to get beyond this wall that is created by by your your behavior by your choices by your by your past experiences by your impression of me I don't know how to get beyond it and It's like being able to sit there and observe that and then ask, hey, do you mean to tell them this? Are you trying to express this? And then asking the other person, do you know this is how they feel? Um, Or did you know that this was what they were trying to say when they were using those other words to say it? Um, Having those moments with people is just like one of the most satisfying things for me. And it's starting to make me feel like maybe I should actually just, you know, quit everything that I'm doing and become a relationship therapist in my spare time, just sit there and listen to people say I love you and not those words and then be like, all right, now I'm going to translate. Do you mean this? And then okay. ask the other person, did you hear that when they said that <laughs> and just ask them that over and over again till their, until their marriage is fixed.
0: <laughs> Dude, no, that's, that's why I do it. It's like the funnest puzzle. And I love seeing people light up and like discover themselves every time they have a discovery, I discover, you know, myself even deeper. Um, and to pick up on that one point that you said about them, like, you know, this is the obstacle for me loving you. I think another insight we could get from that beyond just like this, is, I'm trying to love you is also like, I'm trying to love you in this way. And mm. I also want to be loved in that way. So can you show me that love <sighs> in the same exact way? Cause this is how I know. How oh love. my
1: God. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, we didn't really get into the, the part of, me being like, okay, so how do I show up in interpersonal relationships? Because I have such a good relationship with myself that I don't know how to engage with other people anymore when they're being mean to themselves, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Or I don't know how to like show you love because I understand where I'm coming from and sometimes the tools I use to fix my own personal problems, I can't apply to another person. You don't have my infrastructure in place. You have a very different infrastructure that responds to very different things. It's not better or worse. It's just different. Um, and mm-hmm. oh... My gosh, like that, that is so, so interesting. I, the, I had a moment talking to my friend like last night, maybe at like 3 a.m. I was playing video games and I was like, I read The Five Love Languages and it was a good book. And uh, Gary, Gary something, I can't remember his name, Gary Chapman. Gary Chapman, Chapman, you rock. I remember when I was in high school, I read your book and I was like, this nerd. Of course, obviously. I didn't read your book. I got like some notes from a teacher. But then I read your book and I like really tried to take it in. It was very simple. It was very beautiful in its simplicity because I think you really, he really nails it on the head. Um, I like how talking to Gary like this, totally. But Gary. <laughs> we love you, Gary. <laughs> we love you, Gary. Shout out to but, Gary. But like he has this moment where he's talking about how a person um, tries generally to give love in the love language that they understand to give love in. Because he starts with, you know, like, oh, we give love. But he's like, some people actually give love differently than they receive love, right? He's like, some people are more complex than that. And that moment unlocked for me something entirely new, which was, yo, like, whether or not you agree with the five love languages, whether or not you think that you're more complex than the five love languages, something that every human being, I think, could benefit from is just the understanding that there is an experience of, I want to give love within you probably. And that will lead you to do the thing that you think is love. Like give a person a hug or a kiss or, you know, fix their car or, you know, ask them to spend time together, buy them a gift, right? That does not necessarily translate into love for the other person, right? That person experiences love in some other way, perhaps. And maybe when you guys were in your honeymoon phase, you guys were giving each other tons of love right? Gary Chapman covers this. You guys were giving each other tons of love in all these kinds of different ways. And you didn't realize that your main way of receiving love was actually a thing that they were doing because they were full of in love feelings, not because that's how they normally give love. And then suddenly they started to like, you know, taper off into I mainly will try to give you love in the way that I understand to give love. But so many of us are sort of like not recognizing in that moment, like that desire to give love the excitement of giving love in a way that you understand giving love, that can be very rewarding to feel like you can give love in a way that you understand. But when you recognize how another person wants to receive love, that feeling that you're trying to give them, you have to be able to trust that they will get it from the kind of love they are asking you to give. And you kind of need to learn to trust that they're Mm. not really engaging you with an ulterior motive when they're asking you to love them in this way. Like it may not feel like love to you to wash somebody's car or to mow the lawn. But that's what love is for them, right? And that's what makes them feel that feeling where they're like, I am accepted, I am loved, I am cared for. And it's like about showing up for them in the way that, you know, like they understand that you are showing up for them rather than trying to force the way you want to show up for them. You're trying to force their square peg into your round hole.
0: Yeah. Highly recommend everybody read that book because there is a lot of nuance that... um you know that's a multi-page book and hours yeah. of conversation to be had in order to understand the, the depths of it it's pretty incredible and i definitely oh, yeah. highly recommend it's that great. Um,
1: um
0: also the book "Nonviolent communication because like especially when you said mm-hmm. giving like the act of giving and receiving love it's totally it totally is the best experience possible um it i mean that's like people i don't know anybody who doesn't think that when they give something and it's totally received with like love and adoration and excitement, like who doesn't get excited about that? Like, that's like the best thing to like feel like have, we have significance, we have purpose, we have connection, we have variety. We have all the needs I'm met when we do
1: that. I'm giggling um, because I'm thinking about the, <laughs> who doesn't love that? The extremely traumatized who feel <laughs> victimized.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I would say maybe they're not, it's not that they don't love it, but their nervous system has been um, so severely like, damaged uh, and their understanding of themselves and yeah. the concept of safety has been like so co- severely compromised
1: that they're having difficulty yeah. uh, understanding those concepts. It's like know, being deeply to conditioned to experience something not in the way that it's intended uh, by the average individual. It's very, yeah. it's very interesting. Um, But yeah, I think that's also like, would you like to say a little thing about nonviolent communication? Because I know that you like, you love that. And I'm a nonviolent communication weekend warrior slash neophyte. So <laughs> I'd say you are totally nonviolent communication
0: like everything. You totally are I think you embody it, what it is. Um nonviolent communication uh was something that it was I guess a terminology that was somewhat coined by this person uh named uh Marshall Rosenberg. Incredible person, human being. Um, and they just create this framework for communicating. And it's really more of a philosophy and spiritual practice of how to communicate with another person um, that I highly recommend people go check out. And it's the idea behind it is to um, create a form of communication that helps us connect with ourselves and others in a way that makes compassionate giving natural. So like when we feel like, hey, this is like, I, I want to give this to you. Like, I love this thing and I love you. So here's this thing. And then the person receives it with love. And then, you know, it's in a way so that everybody's needs are being met. Uh, And there's a lot of nuance in there. And so I just recommend checking out the book and then also checking out the books that Marshall Rosenberg refers to within that because then you get even deeper context as to what is the deeper meaning and significance behind this practice. Uh, The work of Walter Wink and where he takes the epistemological
1: look at the Bible. Whoa. Adds a whole other dimension to it. Um, Can you say that one more time? The etymological epistemological look oh, at, epistemological. Uh, at cool, the cool.
0: bible and um th- you know we could also talk about the uh, the teleological and the etymological idea et- 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 what's it called um etymology of the words that were being used and the the framework that like jesus the figure jesus was using in his time in order to communicate nonviolently with the oppressors of the Jews. And like mm-hmm. all the, there's like so much symbology in all those words that are totally um, just overlooked. And for, and for a good, for the purpose of, you know, the state controlling the population with more, um, uh, uh, I guess effectiveness, you know, to make, mm. to make the choice yeah. between being passive or being, you know, aggressive. And there's another choice, which is like this nonviolent choice. And so um looking into that, cause it's, it's more interesting when you look at the symbology in the, and the the customs of the time to see like this specifically what jesus was saying and the reasons why Mm -hmm. that was the way he phrased certain things um so that's just one thing and also the the um, the psychologist he cited what was his name um i can't remember right now but uh there was a psychologist he he also looked into the work of and he was looking at uh, I think he was a developmental psychologist so somebody who looks at children and how they kind of formed their idea of being and how we as grow into, grow into adults with our own cognition. And mm. his book was the, the death of meaning or the, yeah, I think it was the death of meaning and how we as a human species are really impacted by our knowledge that we are temporary. Like we're very much have a temporary time here. And like our our whole reality is based on this idea that we're actually going to die at some point. Um, and it's a kind of underlying subconscious idea. And that book, I have to reread it because it was pretty deep. Um, and I gotta be honest, the first part of it didn't sit with me too well because it's kind of um, coming from a certain t- period in time when, uh, I don't know, it's just, it's it's obviously written in, during a certain context and time. And I, <laughs> I don't necessarily agree with those those things the things that were stated in. i can't even point out specifically i just know i had a feeling like oh, i don't like this but the deeper i got into it and the concept it's not like it a good.
1: eugenicist right <laughs> no it's it's
0: not okay. um but it, there was, you're saying it's not it's not but you know but so I, I love psychology i think clinical psychology offers a lot of yeah. insights into the world i think it's really cool um but and when we look at like you know the statistics of being a certain way and how that could, like, how we could kind of predict certain behaviors uh, using mm-hmm. statistical models is pretty awesome. But also realizing that there are people who fall outside of the statistics. And I think those people are also deserve some like attention and love and understanding mm-hmm. because they, I think there's a lot of fascinating things we can learn from them and insights that we could drive from them. And I think clinical psychology can be kind of cold and calculating and not take into consideration like the human element and the, all the ext- other variables in there. They definitely do a great job yeah. of doing that, controlling variables. I love science for that reason, um, but sometimes it's like, man, there's so much. There's so much more, um, and obviously these people are individuals, and they are coming from a certain background. So obviously they're writing it for certain people, so that it makes sense to them. Um, I, I could go on and on about that, so I will stop.
1: <laughs> um, for sure, no worries. Um. I, it's so funny. I know that we were going to try to keep this to like 20 minutes or 25, but like, I just, I love hearing you go on. And like, honestly, I don't really, I don't really have a limit for this. I just always like to say 20 minutes so that a person feels safe, like dipping in 20 minutes if they're not interested in continuing the conversation. But God, that was dope. I mean, you said epistemological and then teleological. And when I, so epistemology is fascinating for me because I remember when I got into epistemology, like, you know, I'm lucky. I was born in 1991, right? So like epistemology, let me just give away all my information so you guys can steal my identity. So anyway, I was was <laughs> born in the early 90s. And for me, like when I finally, you know, was like a teenager in discovering these things, tons of things had been written. It wasn't like new new stuff, like ontology, teleology, and epistem- epistemology. Like the study of knowledge, right? What is knowledge? What makes knowledge, knowledge, or ontology like what is the thingness of a thing people don't really discuss these in a philosophical way anymore people kind of take for granted that data is true right it's like we observed it empirically so it's true and it's like actually our measuring devices are constantly flawed so maybe it's not true right um i came i i came upon the ability ability to find out about epistemology just as as soon as i think i also came upon the ability to to see the foremost work on people who were like basically proving that my mind, it's like, uh, so epistemology, if something, for something to be knowledge, right? What is knowledge? It's justified, true belief, right? So knowledge is belief. That's one thing that a lot of people don't recognize. You have to believe knowledge uh, to call it knowledge, right? And whether it needs to be accepted and mass or whatever is like, you know, up for debate. Um, justified. And true, right? Well, what is true? Like for humans, everything is subjective, right? We we have this weird thing where it's like in our court system, the eyewitness account is like the gold standard, but we know uh, from scientific study that eyewitness accounts tend to be very, very flawed and very incorrect, right? Um, and so it's like really interesting to like explore that while recognizing that like the people who are doing like science, like the neurobiologists of the world are like, yeah, your your reality is basically a procedurally generated hallucination um, as your brain filters out whatever it deems un- unnecessary about your observations. Uh, to some extent, the level of interest you have in any given thing changes your ability to perceive reality around that thing or around things not related to that thing. And that's like, that's crazy to think about that like, my whole sense of reality is really like I am a singularity unto myself. I am my own universe through which all of reality is pouring in and out, right? That's what my mind is doing at any given time. Um, But then like you have things like teleology and you're like, okay, well, what is the purpose of the thing? Well, what is the purpose of the mind? What is the purpose of the person? These things, like if we were to just observe on a purely natural basis, right? Like, well, we just go, well, whatever this creature does in nature is what it does. Um, and we trust that. We were allowed to feel like we trusted that, but as biology as you know, come into the 21st century and as our observations of psychology and sociology and whatever have come into the 21st century, we're starting to realize like animals do all kinds of things we thought they didn't do. They do all kinds of things that we deem unnecessary. We don't actually know, like we, we've gotten so far away from like knowing things and we've just gotten into the, the realm of really just living in better questions that we can only have subjective answers for. And I find that so fascinating. So when we're, like, talking about, like, what it is to love, what it is to need, what it is to, I think it's really important that you recognize, like, for you, you really do have to find your questions and your answers. Like, and I think that, like, Jeremy has a bunch of great places to start, I think, for a lot of us. Um, and I think nonviolent communication, if you're trying to, like, improve the way that you, you understand communication, you know, five love languages, nonviolent communication, very good places to start. Um, so, yeah, that's, man... And I don't know who the last guy was you mentioned in that other book, but yeah.
0: Uh, I just took it up again. It was Ernest Becker. That dude was yeah pretty, pretty deep in the psychology. Um, that, yeah, that book's a little bit more dense in terms of the concepts there. It was really great though. And I love that breakdown of of uh, just talking about epistemology and realizing how important it is actually to take all this stuff into consideration. Um because yeah there's a new i know we're going way over time now but also a new concept or new uh framework for understanding uh kind of reality that that came up for me recently was uh the five c's of uh history uh the five i think it was called the five c's. the five c's of history yeah for like um, your voice cut out for me yeah, oh, I have to have to try to remember <laughs> it. Your voice—it was like the, I, I took some. Notes. No, oh, I took some of the five. Like maybe my. And then your voice disappeared. Yeah, um, five cities of history. Let me see if it, actually I just brought this up without having my notes ready, but because I I've I heard of it the other day. I'm like, holy smokes, this is such a good way for looking at the world. I think it was like causality. Um, man, now I have to find. I have to go through my notebook. I don't know which notebook it's written in. Uh, but if anybody wants to look at it, it's really interesting five seas of history because it's a cool way just to look at your own life uh it's it's kind of like break down how historians uh take history and how they make like make sense of it and realizing that everything is connected there's a lot more um there's a lot more to to admit than than just you know what's on the surface level but I don't have my notes ready, so I can't really talk about it. And I'm sorry for not having that memorized and ready. I will definitely have to I'll share that with George with you later. Maybe this show,
1: I don't think that needs an apology. I think that that is the the teaser for next week's episode. Um <laughs> totally. <laughs> but like, yeah, dude, that's that's so cool. Um I've never heard about the five C's of history, so like I'm excited to to learn more about that probably. Um I I was looking at when you were talking about all the um, other people I was thinking about, like Paulo Freire, for example, when you talk about nonviolent communication and how there's like a nonviolent way to go. And I was like, Oh, we should probably, you know, like discuss maybe like the pedagogy of the oppressed. Um, It's like, it's interesting how, how there's, I think I want, what I want to say maybe before we close this out is I am a firm believer that and I very I I went through a whole process of yogic non belief where I was like I will uncommit to any belief I've ever held and then I will choose to recommit to it intentionally in the future, um at some given time and I will also uncommit from any commitments that I've ever made, um even this one uh, until I I am offered the opportunity to recommit to the thing again and what would I recommit to in my life and what do I resentfully recommit to in my life like what what is it and I was like ooh oh I'm a, I have to have feelings about what I. Of what i'm committing to and i have to acknowledge those feelings right whether they're permanent or shifty i just i need to recognize that i felt that way um right it's interesting but what was like fascinating is i realized i was like one uh humans don't understand things we make understandings of things which means that everything you've mm-hmm. ever thought you knew is some sort of assumption one two nothing is ever the model Like, we have tons of models for things, but nothing is the model. The model is an abstraction. Like, we think of ourselves as being very concrete sometimes, and we think of ourselves as logical beings. But in reality, we apply logic to things. Human logic is very fuzzy. Human logic does not – it's not booleans. It's not like a computer. It doesn't break when it doesn't make sense. We just force it to make sense and keep going. Um, It's kind of nuts. You'll discover, like, if you look at the logic of logic, like, a lot of us don't even understand the logical implications of the things that we say are true. Um, and we're not willing to check the proofs to see if, you know, like, it is true. We often will just accept it because it was observed and it made the most sense to us at the time. But, like, it's, it's crazy. The models are not the thing. The models are an abstraction. Your experience of reality, this, this, if, if you hear me talking, you are not hearing like my experience you are hearing the two steps removed my observation of an experience the phenomena itself it has been abstracted into human observation that experience is then abstracted into human communication you are experiencing the communication level of my phenomena experience like of my sense memory right that's what you're experiencing Mm -hmm. when you engage with another human being you are almost never really engaging with a thing itself. You're often ag- engaging with abstractions of a, you're engaging with a concept of the person they believe that they are in the moment that they believe they are in and what they believe they must say and do to, com- to, to communicate to you. So many of us are trying really hard to communicate the feeling of wanting to hug a person in words related to trying to express that we love them. When in reality, what we need to actually do, if we want to give them the experience of what we're experiencing, is to share the experience of whatever connection it would be, which is the hug, right? And I think that that's just—that's basically me saying you should hug more people.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Amen. But always, always ask or
1: create a a big enough space between you so that you don't grab something hug
0: because that does happen.
1: You can invite um, them into the moment that you want to be experiencing, yeah. rather than trying to totally uh, strategically communicate yourself into that. Posi- I mean, you're always strategically communicating yourself into a new position, but like it, you could you could be a little bit more direct sometimes. Dude, be more <laughs> direct. Who doesn't appreciate more directness?
0: I, do, I, love, I love it. I love it. Like my favorite people are the most direct yeah. people.
1: I do. I do believe that directness um, is. Uh, a lot of us avoid it because we are scared of direct. The 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 sense of, of direct rejection is a lot safer than the sense of like, oh, I offered an opportunity to move towards the thing that they might reject and they didn't even like that. Okay, cool, I'm safe. I don't even have to know what it feels like to be yep. rejected here. I think that's... And they don't even have to know that they rejected me. I right? Oh my that. God. <laughs> I I set this up so I would never have to let them know that they rejected me. Wow. That is like, I'm just thinking about how many relationships I've observed where people are secretly sitting here like preemptively rejecting themselves, re- preemptively rejecting yeah. their truths, and then like hoping that this other person will maybe figure it out. And like, they're sticking around because some things are great, but like this other person would probably be totally receptive to them just being like, hey, this is. I want you to tell me what you want so I can give it to you. I don't want to be sitting here accidentally, you know, exacerbating your by, <laughs> you know what I mean? Not knowing how to communicate with you yeah if you're in a healthy relationship
0: like that's what the other person really wants we all want a sense of certainty um and i know for me coming from a a background that's more on the anxious side like i would rather know how a person feels about me than just have to imagine what they're feeling about me and i know i do actually set up situations for myself where i'm sabotaging the certainty like instead of just asking somebody straight up i like you know can find ways of maneuvering around the direct question um and it all stems down from fear so, you know, be confident in yourself, know that no matter how anybody treats or values you or like how they value you, how they ascribe value to you, it's not a reality, right? As, as George was saying, you know, it's their own phenomena of their own experiences. It's their idea, it's their experience, not you. You're always valuable. You're, you're always gonna be loved. You're always gonna Oof, be loved. yes, man.
1: All right, that was beautiful. Should we call that the button? Is that the ending point? <laughs>
0: Let's, I think that's a good place to end. I totally found the 5C <laughs> thing, and it's awesome. And I'm going to tell everybody, like, it's going to be so cool, and it actually relates exactly to what George just said.
1: I really, really want to talk about it, but I do love oh, a good teaser. Oh, I love it. I love it. Okay, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Let's end this here. Thank you guys so much for listening. Whoever shows up, if nobody shows up, thank you, Jeremy and I, for being here. This was awesome. <laughs> i Thank you, George, it was, uh, it was absolutely uh, wonderful.
0: I really do appreciate your existence and your, and your space that you hold. Um, it makes me feel seen and it makes me feel like I have significance and connection and adds a sense of variety to my day. It just like hits all the buttons, all my needs are fulfilled and I just absolutely Bro, I love
1: you too, so you're a fantastic human being. I really, really appreciate that the universe saw fit to put you in my life and to give us the ability to be honest enough with each other to get to these moments because, like, straight up, I'm certain that there are so many people out there who, like, even if they feel they have nothing to contribute to this conversation, they just wanted to listen. Like, they don't even know that they're allowed to want to listen. Like, they're sitting here, like, like afraid to ask to, like, communicate or connect or in this way. And it's just beautiful that, like, we've been put on a path where this was possible. So... I fucking love you, man. You are a reflection of the Amen. universe's love for my existence because like this is this is this gets to be this unconditional love fest and I'm just so I'm so pleased to be here. Yeah, man, same
0: here. All right, well, until next time, which is gonna be very soon. For show. I'll talk to you later. Peace. Bye everybody.